Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, Ryan Fowler, and welcome in to week four. If you're new here, welcome. If you've been here a while with me, welcome back. We are getting ready for week four in Philadelphia. 3-0 Philadelphia Eagles hosting the 2-1 Burgundy Gold Washington Commanders. Everybody remembers last year when Washington went up to Philadelphia and beat them. What is it going to take in 2023 to go up there and make it two straight years where Washington wins in Philadelphia. We're going to get into their offense, their defense, their special teams, matchups to watch, things to take advantage of from Washington's perspective, into a Philly roster that I get it, 10,000 foot view, this is a 3-0 football team. But when I watch them against the Patriots, I watch them against the Vikings, and I watch them on Monday night against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I see holes on either side of this roster and ways in which Washington can not just go in and compete on Sunday afternoon, but win that football game and get to 3-1. and And more importantly, start out 1-0 in the division before a quick week and hosting the Chicago Bears next week on Thursday night football. So a quick turnaround for Washington as we head into week four. It's crazy to think, guys, at the conclusion of Sunday's game, it is going to be the end of the first quarter of the 2023 campaign. But today, we are talking Philadelphia Eagles. Offense, again, defense, and special teams to a unit that won the NFC last year returns much of their core. They've had some injuries on either side of the ball we're going to get into. They've lost nickel corner of Ante Maddox. Most likely for the entire year with that injured peck, he is currently out for a majority of the season already. He's going to be out for a long time. He will not be playing Sunday. We're going to get into that when we talk about the receivers and corner matchups because obviously you're on the outside with Darius Slay and James Bradbury, but it is a corner's room behind them that I think Washington can take advantage of, especially on crossers, on designated touches, and over the middle of the field against linebackers like Zach Cunningham that cannot cover to save their life. So first things first, guys, you know where we start. And that is at the quarterback position, and that is with Jalen Hurts. When I look at Jalen Hurts and the improvement that he's made coming in, I mean, watch him. You guys are familiar with college football. At Alabama, to Oklahoma, to the NFL, sitting behind Carson Wentz, taking over for Carson, his ability to be a dual threat talent behind that Dominant front five. But when I look at Jalen and numbers that stood out to me when studying this game and studying his tape these last three games, he is somebody that lives in the zero to 10 yard range of the offense. 20 plus yards throws this year. He's completed three on 12 attempts. That's 25% completion percentage. Two touchdowns. He's also thrown two picks. So when they ask him to push the ball down the field, Early in this season, Jalen Hurts has not been good. They have the guys. A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, Quez Watkins looks healthy. He's been battling an injury, but was a full participant in practice on Thursday. When they ask him to deliver downfield and they want to give him time, which he will have time, he has not been good. Flat out, he has not been good. Where he makes his living is in the short range of the offense, getting the ball out of his hands quickly. Designated touches, A.J. Brown being physical in that five to seven yard range of the offense. Quick little slants and timing routes to Devontae Smith. He's an extremely good separator, extremely good route runner, and good hands. 
And then once he's able to kick into gear with the ball in his hands as a yak guy, he's able to run past linebackers, safeties, corners, and take it the distance, whether he's catching it at the 10 or whether he's catching it on the opposing five and just scooting in for a couple yards to the end zone. Devontae Smith, especially in those intermediate areas, is where Jalen Hurts likes to focus his attention in the passing game. He has 63 completions, guys, through three weeks on 93 attempts, but a 67.8 completion percentage. 640 yards, about seven yards in attempt, three touchdowns. He's also got three picks. So about a pick a game so far through three games. Again, Vikings, Patriots, and Buccaneers on Monday Night Football where they dominated Tampa Bay on Monday night. So this is actually a short week for the Eagles coming in to Sunday afternoon when they host the Commanders. But in that short to medium area, he has 45 of his 63 completions have come. 36 of them have come in that 0-9 to range of the offense. 36 of his 63 guys' completions have come within 0-9 to yards of the line of scrimmage. And as good as this front five is, and he does have a good arm, and he can create outside of structure, he does not like, and he's not asked to push the ball down the field a ton. Quez Watkins is their deep threat. You'll see some Olamide Zacchaeus. He caught a deep touchdown against the Tepe Buccaneers. They'll probably take some shots to him if they seem if they seem like it may be an opportunity to take a calculated deep shot over the top. But he's going to live within the sticks, meaning first and 10. He's going to live within that 0 to 10 yard range of this offense. Dallas Goddard, Jack Stoll, tight ends that we're going to see this week. That's his guys. But where this offense makes its money is in the run game and winning the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Which takes me to my next position group with the running backs. And that is headlined by their RB1. No longer Miles Sanders. He's in Carolina. That is DeAndre Swift, who they brought over from Detroit, of course, after Detroit drafted Jameer Gibbs in the first round. DeAndre Swift has been outstanding early, early in this season. He's got 45 carries, 308 yards, and a touchdown. No fumbles. But the number that stands out is his yards per attempt, guys. 6.8 yards an attempt on 45 carries. Now, the running back position correlates to the offensive line, as does everything with the offensive structure. I talked about that with Washington, where their offensive line is going to have to be better. We'll get to that when we flip over to the defensive side of the football. But DeAndre Swift, he's going to get his carries. He's probably going to get 20, 25 plus carries, potentially, if that front five is able to create alleys against Washington's front four. That is... As important as anything, any positional group for Washington this week. And any week. I mean, it starts with them every week. But when you go up against Philadelphia that wants to make their money and just punching you in the mouth within the trenches, John Allen, Deron Payne, Chase Young, Montez Sweat, even the rotation of guys behind them, they have to be really, really good this week for Washington to not just be competitive, but come out of Philadelphia and out of week four with a win. And again, move to three and one and one and zero in the division and be potentially tied with, or would, would be tied with the Eagles atop the division, and uh, would also be ahead of Dallas, because if you beat Philadelphia, you're 1-0 in the division. Philadelphia hasn't played a divisional game yet. They'd be 0-1. You'd actually have the tiebreaker early with being 1-0. So Washington, if they win this game on Sunday, they would be atop the NFC East. So massive game. It's always hard to play on the road. But as we move towards it, the weather gets cooler. We're moving into October, November. In divisional games, 
The Eagles like to make their living in the run game and on the trenches. From left to right, the Philadelphia Eagles are our group that is arguably, I'm not going to argue it, the best unit in football, coached up by Jeff Stoutland, the best offensive line coach in the NFL. Left tackle Jordan Mailata, left guard Landon Dickerson, Jason Kelsey's our center, Cam Jurgens at right guard, Lane Johnson at right tackle. It is an aging group. Jason Kelsey is not young. Lane Johnson is not young. Jason Kelsey came into the league in 2011, guys. Lane Johnson came into the league 2013. They've been around a while. But the thing that I'm looking forward to along this front five, and as we'll get some news coming out of Philadelphia in these next 24 hours or so, is the health of Cam Jurgens. He's been battling a groin injury all week. and has been limited participant in practice. He is in his second season out of Nebraska, really athletic interior lineman, played center and guard for the Huskers in college. Now is with the, in this Philadelphia offensive line to where he could be the successor to um, Jason Kelsey when he eventually retires. I mean, the guy seems like he's 75 years old already, but he most likely will take over for him at right at center. Excuse me. But if Cam Jurgens isn't able to go and that camaraderie around that front five that they already have within three games, it's either going to be Sua Opeta, who was a UDFA back in 2019, or it's going to be rookie Tyler Steen, who they took on day two out of Alabama that lived at right tackle for the Alabama, excuse me, lived at tackle for the Alabama Crimson Tide, but also has some ability at guard. And that's where he's been working this summer and even working back in a rookie minicamp. So if the rookie and Tyler Steen has to go, he's a good player, strong as an ox. But a rookie along the offensive line against Deron Payne and John Allen, that certain matchup right there is something where you're looking to find an advantage, a hole, if you will, any little hole along this front five. If Cam Jurgens can't go, first off, I like Washington's matchup within the interior against anybody in football. I don't care who it is. But if Cam Jurgens can't go, and it is Tyler Steen within the middle to where Lane Johnson's going to be on his right shoulder as a bumper and Jason Kelsey to his left... That's an advantage for Washington. So sending guys in the A and B gaps, stunts and twists, all those little things to confuse potentially Tyler Steen in the middle is going to be really important from Jack Del Rio to scheme it up a little bit like he did uh, in that Buffalo game, specifically as he moved forward into the later portions of that first half before really the game got out of hand as he moved back into that fourth quarter when Washington was down 16-0, but then of course just got taken behind the barn a little bit right as he moved forward into that fourth quarter where but Buffalo put up 20 plus points on them in that lone stanza to end that football game. So that is their front five guys. They are excellent. Um, they are the best unit in football from left side to the right side. But if you have changes within the guts of your offensive line, it is always going to bring issues. It's going to bring problems. I don't care who you are. And when you're throwing in a rookie, I get it from Alabama, from the SEC. I understand that. But Tyler Steen was a transfer from Vanderbilt into Alabama where he spent one year for the Crimson Tide. Don't get me wrong. I like the player coming out of college. I would have liked to have Washington potentially spend a day two pick on him with that guard tackle versatility. But now he's in Philadelphia and he may earn the start this week. We will see, again, if right guard Cam Jurgens cannot go for Philadelphia. So from there, let's go to the outside. That is where they have their headlines. I'm not going to spend too much time on Dallas Goddard and Jack Stoll, the tight ends that you're going to see. Um, Goddard is a really good player. It seems like Every single game, Washington has trouble with tight ends over the middle field, whether it's the days of Jason Witten in the past or Zach Ertz in Philadelphia when he was with Dallas Goddard and they ran that 12 personnel, so one running back, two tight ends in the middle of the field. Washington always had issues with that, no matter how good their linebackers were. 
but Dallas Goddard really is their main tight end. So it allows them to live in 11 personnel. So one running back, one tight end, three three wide receivers with, of course, A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, and it's usually Quez Watkins, but you'll also see, again, some Olamide Zacchaeus uh, on the perimeter. But Dallas Goddard's a really, just a really nice player playing the Y, playing the F, really good hands. Um, not crazy athletic. Really, he is a good athlete, but not somebody that will get the ball in his hands and take it 30, 40 yards extra, or take it extra 10, 15 yards to where he is a dynamic, dynamic athlete at the position. Um, he's more so a sticks mover. He is a, a really good threat in the red zone to where he understands how to put linebackers on his back. He can go up above the rim on guys. Um, just a really solid blocker as well. So when you're asking him to block the edges or make a, an edge rusher rush twice, he's really good in that aspect of the football game. I think he's a good player. I don't think he's as good as some people make him out to be. Heavily featured in this offense at times. And then sometimes he can kind of fall behind the curtain to where A.J. Brown, and of course, Devonta Smith, draw the spotlight. And then when Jalen Hurts is carrying the ball and they hand it off to John J. Swift and you'll see Kenny Gainwell, more of that third down back for them. Boston Scott, we'll see if he plays this week. They have a bunch of guys that are names have been around for a while in Philadelphia. I mean, Boston Scott and Kenneth Gainwell have been there for a multitude of years, specifically Boston Scott was there in their Super Bowl title back in 2017. But just focusing on the tight ends, it is going to be Dallas Cotter. You're going to see some Jack Stoll, guys that can play the Y and play the F more so with Dallas Goddard, just playing that F and working over again, that zero to 10 yard range of the offense to where sometimes they'll even do some designated touches to them on the outside, some screens to Devonta Smith, some screens to Dallas Goddard, getting guys in space quickly and allowing their big boys, specifically in Jordan Mailata and Lane Johnson to get out in space to where you don't want to see those guys coming down the tracks. If you're a Kendall Fuller, Benjamin St. Juice, Emmanuel Forbes, that's bad news bears. <laughs> Bottom line it is guys. So that is that's their tight ends room. But again, their focus, guys, is, is it's on the outside. Um, A.J. Brown, big physical body. You saw him complaining to Jalen Hurts just a couple weeks ago because he didn't get the ball. Um, you saw him heavily featured in the Tampa Bay game. Devontae Smith is somebody that is... It was always so funny when you think back to his college evaluation. People didn't think he could play. People thought he was too skinny. People thought he could not handle the the physicality of the NFL level. Well, you turn on the tape at, at Alabama and just watch the guy. Um, for you aspiring scouts out there, guys that want to get more in the talent, um, you know, if, as far as evaluating talent from college, the NFL, how to project guys, first off, don't scout helmets and don't just read box scores. Look at a guy's tape, see how his, his skill set can translate to the next level. You guys know that I've talked a lot about Tank Dell, a kid out of Houston that's now with the Houston Texans from this past year. And a lot of people said, oh, he's 5'8", 5'9", and he's really thin, and that's not going to translate to the next level. Well, how's the rookie looking right now for the Houston Texans? I've talked to you guys about him a ton as we move into the spring. Not going to say I'm going to sit here and just pat my back, but when it comes to players like this, when I think about with Devontae Smith and what he's become in the NFL and how he was looked upon back in 2021 coming out of Alabama, even though he won a Heisman at Alabama, one of the first receivers in a long, long time to do so, just take a step back a little bit. And again, if you're looking into getting talent evaluation and scouting, just don't listen to the consensus. Don't be afraid to swim upstream and have your own different opinions. Just look at the player and how they project. And it wasn't hard to see a guy like Devontae Smith with his route running and his hands and his ability to really do it all at all three levels and then take it the distance when he accelerates into gear to see how that would project to the NFL level. And now in his third year already in the NFL and how dynamic he's become to when he was wide receiver one for, for uh, a year. 
in in Philadelphia before they brought in A.J. Brown last fall. Now with a wide receiver 1A, a wide receiver 1B with these two. I know Jalen Hurts, as I mentioned at the top, likes to live within that, that short area of the offense, but these guys can stretch the field as good as anybody in football, specifically Devontae Smith. Um, we've seen it, right, against Washington in the past. His ability to stretch his legs, if you want to, just to have a, if you ask him to run a clear out route, he can do that, or a crosser with middle field, or you ask Jalen Hurts to throw a far hash comeback, he can do that. In the red zone, you want to throw up a, the old Jay Gruden fade ball in the back, the back pylon, Devonta Smith can go up and get that. He's a flat-out dynamic threat. I like him personally more than A.J. Brown. I know A.J. Brown gets a lot of the attention because of his big body, really physical, throwing corners out of the way, just big boys, everybody. But when I look at a fluid or outrunner, the hands just smooth as silk on the outside, and that is Devontae Smith. That can hurt you at every single level. Whoever's covering him this week, and Kendall Fuller, Benjamin St. Just, Emmanuel Forbes, Emmanuel Forbes specifically as a rookie, he's been really good to start the first three weeks, has not been perfect, I know some of the PFF grades and some of the graphics that have been posted of him and tweets that you guys have seen from the industry as far as how good he's been, his passer rating allowed through three weeks. I get that, but the tape also tells some different, right? Some different things. I mean, the Marvin Mims deep catch. I think you look last week as far as the Stephon Diggs early in that first half on that third and 10, his eyes getting caught in the backfield a little bit. There's some things here that he could improve upon moving into week four to where I want to see him create some more uh, ball production on the outside. I think he can take a little bit more chances as well um, when they work back into like Philadelphia in the intermediate areas of the offense, right? Emmanuel Forbes' ability to create downhill and read the eyes of the quarterback, but also have calc- and take calculated risks. I want to see that a little bit more from him this week because it's going to be big. You draft guys like Emmanuel Forbes and especially along that front four, those first rounders, the guy's got to show up. He's got to make plays. A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith are going to be a hell of a matchup. His toughest matchup, really, uh, to date. We've seen it. Arizona, okay, Marquise Brown, Denver had some guys, right? Cortland Sutton was out there. And, of course, Marvin Mims had a big first half. Last week against Buffalo, Stephon Diggs and Gabe Davis. Well, this is his biggest test with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. So seeing number 13 out there, now into his fourth game as a pro, taking those next steps and being just smoother. Things slowing down on the perimeter want to see him just become that guy that I think he can within this defense. He's been good through three weeks. Don't get me wrong. I like what I've seen from, from Emmanuel Forbes. But now I expect him to take that next step, continue to improve, improve, improve to potentially where he can shut down a third of the side of the field for you and is what Washington wants out of him, of course, drafting him in the middle portions of round one back in April. So guys, that is their offense. If you want some names behind Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown, I already mentioned Quez Watkins and Olamide Zacchaeus. But really behind them, it's just Britton Covey. Um, little slot receiver, really. That, that, that's, where, that's where he'll live if he gets some touches on offense. But he is a damn good punt returner. Um, really come out of nowhere as a UDFA last year out of Utah. A Utah program that consistently pumps out talent every single year. Their head coach, Kyle Winningham, every single year just pumps out NFL talent. And they gets no attention um, out there in the Pac-12. But Britton Covey's a really good punt returner. Really good special teams guy. Can flip the field for you. Um, you're Washington and you end your drive at your own 30 and you're punting it and he gets the ball at the, at the opposite 30 and he takes that thing 15 yards, you know, right there, they're set up at midfield and you're almost giving them points because of Jake Elliott as well. Their kicker is one of the best in football. So special teams right now is really, it's just talking about Covey and now Jake Elliott, really, really important, right? As you move into games, divisional games on the road like this, you can't let Britton Covey hurt you on special teams. And he can do that. Not a guy that's going to run 4-2 or run past you, 
but he is someone that's crafty, won't fumble the football. Maybe for Washington's perspective, they'd like to see a fumble this week on special teams. Maybe a month punt. We see a lot of punt returners talk about Tressway that left his a left-footed punter. It comes down in a weird angle in consideration opposite with right-handed kickers or punters, excuse me. So maybe, maybe we'll see. Maybe he loves a punt this week. Who knows? But he's usually a sure-handed punt returner and pretty damn good uh, for this Philadelphia Eagles group. Again, as a UDFA out of Utah back in 2022. So let's flip over, guys, to the opposite side of the football. And this is where our issues come into play <laughs> for Washington's perspective. Uh, because of Washington's front five. Uh, allowed the most sacks through three games since 2005. Uh, it's been rough, guys. You guys know, you've watched all three games. You've heard me talk about it. It's been rough. And now they face an Eagles unit headlined right now as far as their players that are playing well in first rounder Jalen Carter out of Georgia and Josh Sweat off the edge. It is crazy to think that Brandon Graham, Hassan Reddick, two of their best edge rushers, have yet to record a sack this year. But Josh Sweat, Reddick, and Graham have combined for 20-plus pressures in three games. Now, Really, that's three guys, twenty plus pressures. I mean, they're they're getting to the they're getting to the, the quarterback a little bit. But when I look at Washington's front five, this is where it starts. If they want to go into Philadelphia and stay competitive, moving into the the second half, the later portions of that third quarter and early portions of that fourth quarter, or really, you could even say the middle eight. And what I mean by the middle eight is the last four minutes of the second quarter and the first four minutes of the third quarter. That middle eight right there is going to be huge for Washington to really gauge your barometer. Are they going to be competitive in this ballgame or are they not? Because if this front five cannot holster Josh Sweat, Fletcher Cox, Jordan Davis, Hassan Reddick, Brandon Graham, Milton Williams, Jalen Carter, Nolan Smith, guys, it goes on and on for this Eagles front seven. Now the linebackers are weak. I will get to them in a minute. But Washington's biggest concern, even heading into this year, was their front five. And as it looks right now, there, are no, there aren't going to be any changes along Washington's group heading in to a hostile environment in Philadelphia, in divisional play. Jalen Carter within the middle has been the best rookie on either side of the ball in football. He's been absolutely dominant. Again, first rounder out of Georgia. There was a lot of stuff. You guys heard it pre-draft about Jalen. All he's done is come in, put his nose to the grindstone, and become one of the most dominant defensive tackles in football. Doesn't matter if you're a first-round guy or a 15th-year guy. He's been absolutely found, uh, fantastic. It leads the team in pressures with 15. He's got two sacks, 12 hurries. He's winning on nearly 22% of his pass rush reps, near the tops, all, near tops in football. He's been fantastic. He plays the one-tech. He plays the three-tech. He can play straight up as a zero-tech right in front of Nick Gates' nose. And what he does is he's going to force double teams. Now, an offensive line, you don't want to block guys isolated. You want to block guys doubled up. But this week, you're going to see a lot, potentially, of running backs staying in, tight ends staying in, giving help to this front five. But the biggest thing for me turns to Eric Bieniemy and Sam Howell. Having to get the ball out of his hands as quick as possible. Designated touches, rhythm throws. Have to be early in this ballgame, the first two to three series. And also, you got to get Brian Robinson going. I get it. You don't want to run exactly at this front four, but you have to. If Washington heads into the second and third quarter and Brian Robinson still has 20 or 30 yards with nine or 10 attempts, 
they're going to lose this football game, and it might not be close, guys. Forcing Sam Howell to play hero ball where you're throwing it 35, 40-plus times, similar to what Mac Jones in week one against the Eagles had to do with 54 passing attempts, that's not the way to success for Washington. It's getting the ground game going with Brian Robinson right now, who is third in the league with rushers of 47 more attempts with nearly five yards a pop. He's at 4.6 yards a pop right now with his carries. Even though this front five has not been good, they've been able to run the football a little bit. I want to see more of it. Feed him the rock. Because I don't know if Chris Rodriguez, I don't think he's going to go this week. He was held out Thursday's practice with an illness. Antonio Gibson can't hold the football. So who else do you have? It's Brian Robinson and that's it. Guys, it's Brian Robinson's show. He is the bell cow. He is RB1. Give him the football if you're Eric Bieniemy. They have to run the football with success and almost force feed him even if it's not working. In the RPO game, which we've seen a lot in these first three weeks, it's a staple, obviously, in the enemy's offense. I want to see Sam Howell potentially take it and threaten the edges. Rookie Nolan Smith, really good run defender, but he's a rookie. I want to see them threaten that backside, not allow him to scream down the line of scrimmage and chase Brian Robinson down from the backside. I can't see it. I can't have it this week. This front five is so big for Washington's success when you go against a front four like this. It's big every week. Everything correlates from the front five, but they absolutely have to be better. They can't allow seven or eight plus sacks this week. It's not going to be good. And all it is is going to get Sam Howell absolutely shell-shocked to where he's getting happy feet like we saw against Denver. And he's just throwing it here and there and trying to force throws into windows that aren't even there. I like Sam Howell. You guys know that. I know a lot of you out there do too. But he has to have at least a little bit of time to read through his progressions. Now, I don't want those progressions being so long and detailed and the concepts are 15, 20 yards down the field every single time. Again, designated touches. Get Jahan Dotson involved early. He not, has not been involved through three weeks. I need him more involved. Terry McLaurin, six catches, 41 yards in week three. Need more. I need more. Antonio Gibson, I got to use you in a flex space this week. I need you. Logan Thomas looks to be healthy. He might be a huge weapon this week. I'll say right now, if Logan Thomas does go, which he's been a full participant in practice, which I love to hear it because he got rocked from Kareem Jackson, that dirty hit in week two against Denver in the, in the end zone, came down with the football that really turned the tide of that football game, been dealing with the concussion ever since, missed last week against Buffalo, but he is Washington's far and beyond best tight end. And over the middle of the field to where you got no more N'Kobe Dean, right? TJ Edwards is now in Chicago. So N'Kobe Dean is on IR. It's Zach Cunningham, and it's Nicholas Moreau over the middle of this defense. And teams have picked on Zach Cunningham a ton this year. 20 targets through three games. He's allowed 15 catches for 107 yards, nearly seven yards of completion, and over 104 yards after the catch. Let me put that in context for you. 104 yards after the catch allowed by Zach Cunningham at the linebacking position. The second highest on the Eagles is Darius Slay with 54 yards. So nearly double the amount of yards after catch that Darius Slay has allowed, the second highest on the Eagles. But Washington doesn't have guys that can create after the catch. Logan Thomas, just a big galloping, bruising runner. That's where Antonio Gibson comes into play this week. And we you working him on screens, designated touches, and over the middle of the field. Whether he's aligned in the slot, whether he's aligned at tight end, I don't care. If you have to use him in space where he gets a little chip on the end and goes over the middle of the field against Zach Cunningham, I like that this week. 
Zach Cunningham is an athletic linebacker, really good coming downhill. He's a tackle machine, has been for years since he came out of Vanderbilt years ago. Look back to his tape with the Houston Texans and Tennessee Titans. All he was is a downhill defender living within the tackle box, but he cannot cover. He cannot cover. He has not, he's proven that he cannot cover in this league. So targeting that zero to 10 yard range of the offense that Jalen Hurts is going to live in for Sam Howell to get his feet wet early in this ball game, I would not be shocked if Logan Thomas has 10 or 12 targets this week, guys. They have to hit Logan over the middle of the field this week. John Bates, Cole Turner don't care who it is. I don't care if they ask me to suit up this week. I'll work over the middle field for him. Philadelphia is very weak in the middle, the lungs of this defense. They brought in Terrell Edmonds, athletic, that second, third level defender, Reed Blankenship, former UDFA out of Middle Tennessee, can play that second, third level as well. Had a pick last week at Tampa Bay against Baker Mayfield, where he stared down the receiver over the middle of the field. Sidney Brown's a really fun safety I, I, I talked about back in the spring out of Illinois. Core special teamer right now for them, but someone that will get some snaps on defense. Flies around the football, really good downhill. Reminds me a lot of Derek Forrest. Will blow your chin strap off, really good in the run game. Excellent, just smart dude, but averaging coverage. So if he gets some snaps in the back end, maybe they take some calculated deep shots. Darius Slay most likely is going to be shadowing Terry McLaurin. Now we're gonna move it, we're gonna move into the secondary now. So Darius Slay is going to be shadowing Terry McLaurin right? Curtis Samuel is going to get some work over the middle of the field. Jahan Dotson is going to see a lot of James Bradbury this week. That's what I expect. James Bradbury plays a slot. He can play outside. He's going to cover most likely Jahan for the majority of this football game. So it's really nice to have two guys that can travel with each guy. It doesn't matter, right? Or they stay stagnant and wherever Terry goes or wherever Jahan goes, they'll just stay on that side, right? But Curtis Samuel this week is a huge weapon for this offense. Why I say that is there is no more Avante Maddox, as I mentioned earlier. It is Josh Job, a former UDFA out of Alabama who's had a rough start, really earning his first majority of snaps in the NFL. And I know there's kind of a stigma around these Alabama guys. You go to Alabama, you're really good. You go to Georgia, you're really good. Ohio State, wherever, you're really good. But the NFL is a completely different beast. And Josh Job coming out of college, reason why he went undrafted, really stiff hips, not, a, not good in the run, and just a weak man coverage corner. Really impressive looking dude, framed up, rocked up dude on the outside. But now it's been thrust into the starter's role for Philadelphia, and he's been targeted a bunch. Third highest targeted defender uh, for the Eagles. He's allowed 10 catches on 18 targets, allowed 133 yards. He's got a PBU but he's allowed two touchdowns and allowing 116.2 NFL quarterback rating from opposing quarterbacks. Second highest on the team. That is a guy, if I'm Eric Bieniemy, that I want to go after. So again, Josh Job, former UDFA out of Alabama last year. So his second year in Philadelphia, but he's going to be starting. He's going to be playing in the slot. He's going to be playing on the outside. Played on the outside a lot last week. With Mike Evans, of course, for Tampa Bay, sliding into the slot. Same with Chris Godwin. Curtis Samuel in the middle of the field this week is going to be huge. That is the Philadelphia defense, guys. But it starts with the front four. It starts with the front four. With Avante Maddox out, their corners room has taken a hit. They drafted Keely Ringo out of Georgia, but he's mostly been a special teams guy early in the season. They also have another former Alabama to LSU transfer in Eli Ricks, UDFA this year. 
who made the roster and now will play some corner for them if he's active and most likely a special teams guy. But their depth in the secondary beyond Darius Slay and James Bradbury is weak. Reed Blankenship, they like a lot. They like him a lot. Average defender, average athlete. So if Washington's able to get some time this week, they can open it up a little bit over the middle field and run the ball with success to where you're not just running it on first and 10 or second and seven to where you're becoming predictable and static as an, from an offensive structure and a game script, perspective, game script perspective, excuse me, calculated shots down the field for Terry McLaurin, which we've seen him have success in the past. You guys remember his first game ever in the Burgundy and Gold. Case Keenum to Terry McLaurin. First touchdown catch in Philadelphia. Huge play. Whatever it was, a 50 or 60 yard hookup, whatever it was. His first touchdown in the NFL. I was with Washington at the time, sitting in the press box. I'll never forget it. Doug Williams right beside me, going crazy when Terry's first touchdown catch. I'll never forget that. And that was in Philadelphia. Just a heck of a moment for 17 and really an appetizer to have been what's to come over the last few years with number 17. And I expect him to get more targets this week. Had six catches last week, not a bad day, but I need more than 41 yards. But it starts with the front five giving Sam Howell actual time more than a second and a half to get the ball out of his hands. And I know not every sack has been on Sam Howell this this year, but he has to have a little bit of time to throw the football, guys. He's not 6'5", 6'6", to see over the line of scrimmage. He's got to have a little bit of time. got to have some windows to throw. And I want to see him continue to use his legs more to threaten every level of the defense and keep every single guy, all 11 guys of the Philadelphia Eagles, honest. So that is really the key to success for Washington this week, giving Sam Howell just a little bit of time to rip throws to every depth because we know he's not afraid to sling the ball down the field. You got the guys to do so. I'm not going to sit here and say Darius Slay is Deion Sanders and they got Ronnie Lott at the back end with Sean Taylor and the old Brian Dawkins back there with Lito Shepard. They don't have they don't have that in their secondary. Darius Slay and James Bradbury are damn good corners. I understand that. But their safeties group is weak and their depth at, at corner is, is rather weak. In my opinion. In my opinion. And I've seen holes from this group throughout the first three weeks. I think when you look even that back to their week two game against the Vikings to win Kirk Cousins, I mean, Kirk Cousins is always going to get his numbers. You guys know that. Well, they were blowing out the, 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 the visiting Vikings in that game on Thursday night football. So this is their second prime time game uh, at Lincoln Financial. But Justin Jefferson, I mean, Justin Jefferson's uni- a unique athlete and you know he's heavily featured in that offense. There's really nobody else to go to other than maybe a little bit of Jordan Addison here and there and some TJ Hawkinson here and there over the middle of the field. 11 catches, 159 yards. But Jordan Addison at 72 yards and touchdown. TJ Hawkinson, 66 yards and two touchdowns, seven catches. KJ Osborne, three catches and also a touchdown. Over 11 yards of reception. So there's opportunities against the secondary. But he's got to have time. So Sam Howell's first trip up to Philadelphia. A divisional game on the road. Big game. Probably going to have some nerves. And that's fine. Nerves are good. But the front five, and I cannot say it enough, I think Washington's front four will be fine. We've seen it in the past. Cody Barton's been active. Jamin Davis has been active at the second level against this run game. Can't allow them to get going. Pressure on Jalen Hurts. Discipline in your rush lanes again, just like they had to be last week against Josh Allen. We didn't see it at times. Jalen Hurts was not himself on Monday Night Football. Don't, go, don't know if you guys noticed, but he was battling an illness. 
that's been going around the Philadelphia Eagles locker room. Devontae Smith missed practice yesterday because he had an illness. So I don't know if everyone's going to be 100% for the Eagles. But Jalen Hurts should be back to normal. Everything I've heard out of Philadelphia this week is that he is back to normal. He looks healthy. He looks 100%. Done with that little stomach bug, whatever he's had. Dynamic dual threat talent that can also run you over. I don't want to be lining up in third and one where they can do the, uh, I think they call it the brotherly shove or whatever they named it this week or the the tush push, whatever you want to call it. Don't want to hear that about that five to 10 times on Sunday. Get them out of third and one, third and two. Force them into third and five, third and six. Get after the passer. Don't be afraid to rush them. You got guys on the outside and St. Juice, Kendall Fuller, who's been excellent the first three weeks. Emmanuel Forbes, that's been able to make plays as well. And play some man if you have to. Don't allow them to sit back with that front five, sending four because you think you're going to be arrogant and get your first, all your four first rounders after this quarterback with that front five and not pressure anybody. Got to get after the quarterback this week. But calculated risks. Calculate it. Discipline rush lanes and stop the run game before it gets going. You look up in the third quarter and Andre Swift's got 20 carries for 150 yards on seven yards a pop. So that is the Philadelphia Eagles, ladies and gentlemen. Again, Washington's first divisional matchup this year. It is already week four. Again, Washington week, uh, excuse me, again, week four, one o'clock, Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia. I'm sure maybe some of you will travel up to Philadelphia. Um, but let's make it two years in a row. Guys heading into Philadelphia and beating the Eagles. I know a lot of them from last year remember that Monday night game when Washington went in there with Taylor Heineke and beat them. Not going to sit here and say that the Philadelphia Eagles are a team that cannot be beat. This is the NFL. Guys, I said it last week against Buffalo. I know things weren't great. 37-3. That's not pretty. But they were competitive for the first three quarters, except for on offense with the front five. But a divisional matchup coming off a blowout loss for Washington, I think, and I expect them to play a lot better this week. So enjoy the game on Sunday. We've got a nice college slate on Saturday. Hope you guys enjoyed the Thursday night game with the Lions really running over the Green Bay Packers last night on Thursday night football. Washington will be on Thursday night football next week hosting the Bears. They may be 0-4. They may be 1-3 when they head into FedEx Field again next week led by Justin Fields. We will wait till next week to preview the Chicago Bears. That preview will come out for you guys on Wednesday. Again, right before Thursday when Washington hosts Chicago. But this week, it is week four, one o'clock against the Philadelphia Eagles and Jalen Hurts. Dominant front five. Really, really impressive front four. Headlined by Jalen Carter, Jordan Davis, Hassan Reddick, and Josh Sweat. Again, the linebackers are weak for this Eagles group. I want Washington to target the middle of the field and get the run game going with Brian Robinson. You want to run gap inside. You want to run some outside zone and pull some guys. Designated touches, rhythm and timing throws have to be early. You have to see it early in this game script for Washington to go in there and leave Philadelphia with a win to get to 3-1 and one, and, of course, 1-0 and oh in the division. So, as always, appreciate you guys. Always appreciate your likes and your reviews and your shares, your subscribes. We're on all uh, podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts and your sports and your news, you can find us at... I'm on Twitter at underscore Ryan Fowler if you don't follow me there already. And then my written work is housed at bleacherreport.com. So again, as always, appreciate you guys. Enjoy the game. Sunday, one o'clock, week four already. Let's get to three and one. I'm Ryan Fowler, and this is Commanding the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.